Well, good morning. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have a Bible, please open it to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42 is where we will be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one on the seat back in front of you. You can find this passage on page 602. For those of you watching online, if you don't have a Bible, you can find one online at Bible.com. You can find Isaiah chapter 42 there. We're looking at Isaiah 42 this morning uh, as a part of our Advent study in the book of Isaiah. We're rediscovering the true meaning of Christmas by looking at prophecies that the prophet Isaiah gave hundreds of years before Christ came the first time. And as we look at those prophecies, we're seeing truths about why Christ came the first time. And we're also seeing truths and we're raising our expectations for Christ's second coming when he will return soon. So that's why we're studying the book of Isaiah this Advent season. And when we started talking about this series of sermons in the book of Isaiah for the season of Advent, one of the things that we said we really hoped we could accomplish through this series of sermons is to offer a refreshing word to root ourselves in God's word after a very long and very divided election season where we've heard so many political leaders make promises that we know they probably won't keep. We've heard so many uh, arguments and debates about what direction our country should go in. And, and we want to look today at the predictions that the prophet Isaiah made about the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see in Isaiah 42 is that Jesus Christ is better than any president or senator or governor or king. In fact, Jesus Christ is the good and glorious king of the world. That's the main idea I want to drive home to you today, that Jesus Christ is the good and glorious king of the world. We're going to see four truths about Christ's kingship this morning. Number one, Jesus Christ is a good king. Number two, Jesus Christ is a glorious king. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's king. And number four, Jesus Christ is a global king. And as we've already said, our time today is going to culminate by taking up an offering for international missions. Our church isn't going to keep a cent of the money that's given today. All of it's going to be going to the mission field to support workers like Logan and Carla, who we just got to hear from. And so as we walk through Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 10 this morning, I want two questions to be rolling around in the back of your mind while we walk through the passage together. The first of those questions is, have you acknowledged Christ as the king of your life? And the second of those questions is, if Christ is the king of your life, then what financial offering can you make today for his glory? What financial sacrifice will you make today for his glory? So we're going to read the passage, Isaiah 42, 1 through 10. Then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in walking through the passage. Isaiah 42, 1 through 10. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. 
He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let's pray, asking for God's help. God, we love your word. We are so thankful that you have given it to us. We pray that you would, that you would show us what it means for our life. We pray that you would lift up your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, before our sights today. We pray that you would glorify him today in our presence. We pray that we would leave this place inflamed with love and passion for your son, Jesus Christ. He is the good and glorious king of the world, and we pray that he would be acknowledged as king in every tribe, tongue, and nation. We, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would give me wisdom as I speak. We pray that you would give all of us wisdom as we hear your word and apply it to our hearts. And it's for your name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is the good and glorious king of the world. Four truths about Christ's kingship. Number one, Jesus Christ is a good king. Jesus Christ is a good king. And what I mean by that is that he is ruling for the good of his people. So the passage starts in verse 1 with an introduction. Behold my servant, this is God speaking, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Isaiah 42 is the first of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. There are four of these songs, each of them speaking about a figure called the servant of the Lord who would rise up from the people of God to both rule over them as their king and also suffer for them as their savior. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus Christ claimed that these four songs were actually prophecies about himself. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus claimed Isaiah 42 specifically was a song about himself. He claimed to be the great servant of the Lord, the great and glorious king who rules over all of the earth. And so what does he do as king? Well, the verse continues to tell us, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So Christ doesn't exploit his royal authority for his own benefit. Instead, he wields his authority to bring forth justice on the earth. Now, justice is a word that we've heard a lot in the past year. It's a word that our culture is very fond of saying. We love to talk about justice. 
And the Bible uses that word a lot as well. But the Bible doesn't always mean the same thing about justice that we mean when we talk about it today. In the Bible, justice simply means righting every wrong by both lifting up the wronged and lifting up the suffering and also punishing all of the wrongdoers. Justice is the righting of every wrong by lifting up the wronged and by punishing wrongdoers. Justice is what all of God's people have been called to. In the first chapter of Isaiah, which many people believe to be an introduction to the entire book, it introduces all of the main themes that we see throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah, he puts it like this. In a command to God's people, Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God's people in the book of Isaiah were called to be a people who loved and pursued justice. Unfortunately, we have not lived lives of justice. Instead of living for the good of others to right every wrong by lifting up the wronged and punishing the wrongdoers, we have lived lives of injustice focused on ourselves rather than the good of others. We do that in our workplace when we gossip about coworkers or complain about our bosses. We do that in our homes when we're impatient with our spouses. We do that on the streets when we turn away from the homeless. Instead of living the lives of justice that we've been called to, we live lives of injustice. And so compare our self-centered, unjust lives to the just life of Christ. Verse 2 goes on to describe him. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So Christ doesn't defend himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself, lifting up his voice, say, hey, look at me, I'm the right one. No, instead, he lives a radically un-self-centered, purpose-driven life. Described in verse 3 as a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Christ tenderly cares for the weak. People like me and you. Imagine these images. A bruised reed he will not break. Imagine that. Just a thin, hollow little twig that's snapped in half, and the two halves are barely hanging on to one another by a thread, and it's absolutely worthless. You can't use it for building anything. It's not strong enough. You can't use it for lighting a fire. It's way too small and thin. It's absolutely worthless. And Christ takes people who are that weak and that broken, and he holds them in the palm of his hands gently and tenderly, and he says, I'm not going to break you because I love you. Christ tenderly cares for weak sinners like me and you. So if you're feeling weak this morning, know, know that Christ cares for you. He is tenderly holding you in your suffering. And he stands ready to forgive you in your sinning. And we need that forgiveness because, like we just said, we have all lived lives of injustice. And as a result, we deserve an, 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 a punishment for the unjust. 
Like we just saw, justice doesn't just mean lifting up the wronged, it also means punishing the wrongdoers. And we are all wrongdoers. We are all worthy of a punishment. For God to be just, he has to punish wrongdoers like me and like you. But there is forgiveness available to us because Jesus Christ loves weak sinners like me and like you. Look at Romans chapter 5 in the New Testament. He puts it like this, the Apostle Paul. For while we were still weak, is anybody feeling weak today? I'm feeling weak today. But while we were still weak, at the right time, the right time as in when we were still weak and had nothing to offer, when we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ lived the perfectly just life that none of us have lived. And he died being punished by God the Father, not for his own crimes, because he had none. He took on the punishment for our crimes. And then he rose from the dead. He died in our place and rose from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father on a throne, ruling and reigning as the good and glorious king of the world. So if we trust in him, repent of our sins, and confess him as king, we can be saved. There is no religious activity or financial offering that you can bring that will be good enough to appease the wrath of God. Our injustice is too great. But there is one way to be saved, and that's by trusting in Christ as your only hope and submitting to him as your only king. You today, friends, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been raised to life in Christ, you can be transformed by this good king today. Jesus Christ reigns as the good and glorious king of the world. He is a good king who wields his royal authority for justice. He will lift up all wrongdoing, sinning, suffering people. He will put down all wrongdoers. That sounds like the kind of king I would like to follow. What about you? But does Christ actually have the ability to do all of this? Is this just a good idea? Like, oh yeah, I like the idea of reigning with justice. I don't really know how I'm going to do it. No. Christ's reign is certain because he isn't just a good king, he is a glorious king. And that's the second truth about Christ's kingship I want to show you today. Jesus Christ is a glorious king. Jesus Christ's reign over the earth is certain because he is a mighty king. Verse 4 says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Weakness will not stop Christ from accomplishing his purpose because he has no weakness. Christ has sufficient power to rule over the earth with justice because he has infinite power. Christ has the strength needed to punish all wrongdoers because he has infinite strength. Christ can do anything. And in his goodness... He uses that power to bring about justice on the earth, like we just saw in verses 1 through 3. You can always trust this great king. Political leaders can be corrupt. Church leaders will sin. Professional leaders make mistakes. But Jesus Christ 
is a great king, perfect in all of his dealings. He is great and glorious, but he is also good. Jesus Christ is a good king. He reigns with justice and kindness. Jesus Christ is a glorious king, reigning with a certain victory. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's king. Christ's reign didn't just happen. This has always been God's plan from the very beginning of time and before the beginning of time. This has been God's plan for the world. In verse 5, there's a turning point in the passage where, where God moves from announcing the servant to addressing the servant. He moves from talking about the servant to talking to the servant in, five through, in verses 5 through 9. And we just get to eavesdrop in on their conversation. So here's how it starts. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So who is the God who has declared that Jesus Christ will reign as the good and glorious king of the world? He is the God who created the world out of nothing. He is the God who spoke you into being with a word. He is the God who by his own volition chooses to give you every single breath that you take. He is the one controlling the beats of your heart. He created the heavens. He gives breath to the people on it, the spirit to those who walk in it. He is a mighty, glorious God. He has declared that Jesus Christ will reign as the good and glorious king of the world. And because that king has declared it, because that God has declared it, we have confidence that it will certainly be brought about. Of course, this God has sufficient power to accomplish his purposes. And he goes on to describe the work of this great king, Jesus Christ. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Verse 7 describes Christ's purpose. It says that he came to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, to, to give sight to the blind and freedom to the wrongly oppressed. That's why Christ came. And those are just two examples of how he rules and reigns with justice as the good and glorious king of the world. That's why he came. And we see just many examples of him doing this in his own life on earth because he actually gave sight to the blind on countless occasions. That's just an example of how he will reign with justice, correct every wrong, heal all suffering, obliterate every effect of sin. But then the passage takes an interesting turn in verse 8. So in verse 7, he's talking about the work of the servant and then in verse 8, he transitions to talking about his own glory. Read it with me. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So that's an interesting turn. Why does he pivot here? Why does he seemingly change topics altogether? What's the connection? Well, I think what God is doing here is showing that the servant himself is actually God himself. So God can both say, 
my glory I give to no other, and I will give glory to my servant, because God and the servant are one. Jesus Christ was not just a great man, or a great teacher, or a great prophet, or even a great king. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He has always existed from eternity past, and at one point in history, at the very first Christmas, he took on He took on human nature and dwelled among us. He did that for our salvation. But he is fully God. He has always been fully God. He did not renounce his God nature to to dwell among us. He has always been fully God. And that's why when he died in our place and rose again, that sacrifice was sufficient for our sins. Because as God, he is infinitely worthy and infinitely holy and infinitely perfect and infinitely just. He is good and he is God. And the passage goes on, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So unlike the carved idols that God talked about in verse 8, he perfectly knows the future. He's got a perfect track record in predicting it. Former things have come to pass. Everything that God has said would happen has happened. And new things I now declare. So based on that same perfect track record, God is saying, I'm declaring new things. And with the same certainty as those old things, these new things will take place. God's never messed up on predicting the future. And now he's predicting more future events. And we have confidence that they will take place. You can trust God because he is in control of everything. And he's using that control to establish his son, Jesus Christ, as the good and glorious king of the world. Jesus Christ is a good king who reigns with kindness and justice for weak sinners. Jesus Christ is a glorious king who reigns with a mighty victory. Jesus Christ is God's king. He is God's plan for the world. And number four, Jesus Christ is a global king. This good and glorious reign of King Jesus extends over the entire earth. Not just over the people of Israel, not just over the church, not just over America, not just over white people, not just over black people. King Jesus reigns as the king over all of the earth. And Isaiah 42.10 climaxes with an invitation, a command for all of the earth to praise him because he is worthy of it. Isaiah 42.10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. So Isaiah is speaking about the ends of the earth praising our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the coastlands praising our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's an image that Isaiah uses several times throughout his book, the coastlands. And, And it just refers to every square inch of the planet. As far as you could possibly imagine, if you could walk up to the edge of land itself, that's how far Our King Jesus will be praised. He is worthy of praise from every square inch of the planet. And he will not just rule and reign as king, he will be worshipped as a savior. Isaiah 42.10 is a command to sing 
not just to submit. But the, the even more astounding news is that this global reality about Christ's reign is not just tacked on to the end of this passage. This entire passage is filled with the promise that Jesus Christ will reign as the good and glorious king of the entire world. Look back with me at verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice where? To the nations, as in all of them. So if you want world peace and if you want justice, and let's be honest, who doesn't want world peace and justice? The answer is not found in the Capitol building. The answer is not found in the United Nations. The answer is not found in any nonprofit or NGO. The answer is not found in any social welfare program. The answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he can reign and rule with justice over the entire world world. He is the only path to world peace. Verse 4 says it again. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, the entire earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. There it is again, the coastlands. Just imagine that. As far as you could possibly imagine, to the edge of the planet, there King Jesus will be praised. And here the coastlands are described as waiting for his law. That phrase, waiting for God or waiting for his law, it just refers to complete dependence on God and absolutely no confidence on others or on ourselves. And so that shows us that King Jesus will not just reign with an iron fist. He will be surrounded by worshipers who gladly submit to him for endless days. And perhaps the most astounding in verse 6 I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you, I will give you as two things, a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. And the reason I say this is perhaps the most astounding is because verse 6 is the fulfillment of every single hope of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it is filled with God's people hoping for a son of David, to rule and reign over their people forever. That's what God promised them would happen. He promised them that a son of their greatest king, King David, would rule and reign over Israel forever. And God is keeping his promise. He's saying the king will come as a covenant for the people, for God's people, for the people of Israel. But then, he's not just keeping his promise, he's expanding it. So this king will come as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations, for the Gentiles, for people like me and you. The son of David is coming to rule and reign over the Gentiles, over the whole world. And then we come back to verse 10 with this command to sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. In Isaiah 42.10, we see a command to praise the Lord with a new song. And in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, we see this command obeyed. We see this prediction fulfilled. And the last days, we see in Revelation 5, a scene in the heavenly throne room where a group of kings and a group of angels surround the throne and they praise the Lord Jesus. Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, 
to Jesus, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Isaiah 42.10 is a command to sing a new song. And in Revelation chapter 5, the new song is being sung as King Jesus is being praised as the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world, who rose again and is now seated on a throne, ruling and reigning as the good and glorious King of the world. All of the Bible has been leading to this point. King Jesus reigning as the good and glorious king of the world. That's why he came once at the first Christmas, to ransom a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this is why he will come again, to fully consummate and complete and establish his rule and reign over all of the earth. But the bad news, there's bad news with this too. Because Jesus Christ is not currently being praised by every tribe and language and people and nation. When, when Isaiah 42 uses words like every nation or to the ends of the earth, or Revelation 5 says every tribe and language and people and nation, it's not just referring to every geopolitical state in the world today. It's talking about every distinctly ethnic, linguistic, cultural group in the world today. So sometimes that looks like a country, like the United States. Sometimes that looks like a tribe. Sometimes it looks like a, a people group in the, in the remotest regions of the jungle. And today there are over 3,000 of these people groups, distinct ethnic, linguistic, cultural groups, that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They do not submit to him as king because they have never heard of him. One of those groups is the Waimaha of Timor-Leste in the South Pacific. There are 20,000 individuals that make up this people group. And not now or at any time throughout history have a single one of them praised the name of King Jesus. Because they have never heard of him. Another one of these groups is the Abkhaz in Turkey. Over 160,000 people make up this group. Not a single one of them have ever praised King Jesus. King Jesus has never been praised in the Abkhaz language because he's never been proclaimed in the Abkhaz language in Turkey. And so Revelation 5, 9 through 10 is not yet a reality because Jesus Christ has not yet been praised from every tribe and language and people and nation. And these are just two examples of the over 3,000 people groups that are classified as unreached. That's why we give to the international missions offering today. We give to see Isaiah 42.10 and Revelation 5, 9 and 10 become a reality among these groups. We give so that a new song can be sung by the Waimaha and the Abkhaz and every tribe and every tongue and every nation. We give so that unreached people groups wouldn't even be a reality anymore. 
They wouldn't exist anymore. That's why we give. And I want to be very clear. God does not need your money. As we have seen abundantly in Isaiah 42, our great God has no needs. He will certainly accomplish his purposes. He will bring it about. He does not need your help. But the good and glorious news is that he has chosen to involve us in this great task for his glory and our joy. And so God's plan to reach the world is us his people, God's plan to reach the world is your gift today. And so we give not because God needs our money, but because he has chosen to involve us. We are his plan to reach the world. Like we said, we're going to take up an international missions offering this morning. 50% of that offering will go to support the International Mission Board, or the IMB. The IMB is the largest missionary organization in the United States. It's made up of over 3,500 missionaries who are currently serving in over 800 people groups and every geopolitical nation on the planet today. They do astounding work. I want to tell you about just two of those missionaries this morning. Their names are Jay and Kathy Shafto. They're serving among the Sande people in Democratic Republic of Congo. The Sande people is an unreached, unengaged people group. There's about 150,000 of them alive today, by our best estimations. And before the Shaftos started working there this year, there had never been a Christian among the Sande people. Christ had never been praised in their language. Christ had never been proclaimed in their language. 150,000 people. And so the Shaftos go to the Sande, and they start sharing the gospel using oral Bible stories. They tell the story of the Bible. They tell them about how Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life, died the death they deserved to die, and rose from the dead in great and astounding victory for their sins. And a lot of the Sunday came to know Christ as Lord. They put their faith in him and became Christians. But that's not even the best part. Because one of the people that heard the gospel from the Shaftos was a woman whose name was Mama Helen. And Mama Helen was not from the Sande tribe. Mama Helen was from a neighboring tribe called the Ngongo. And the Ngongo was also an unreached, unengaged people group. Over a quarter of a million people, and not now or at any time throughout history, had any of them ever put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Mama Helen hears this good news, she believes it, she becomes a Christian, and she knows that she has to take it to her home tribe, the Ngongo. And so the IMB missionaries, Jay and Kathy Shafto, they train her, and they tell her how to tell these oral Bible stories, and she goes back to her home tribe, and she does it in a really big way. Since then, Mama Helen has shared the gospel using these oral Bible stories and the training from these IMB missionaries to share the gospel over 3,000 times. As a result, 167 people have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three groups of them are being trained to keep sharing these oral Bible stories so that we can reach the quarter of a million people among the Ngongo, and 16 of them are being trained for church leadership positions so that there can be a healthy church among the Ngongo. At this time last year, 
No one had ever praised the name of Jesus Christ in the Ngongo language. And now, because of the work of these missionaries and the faithfulness of Mama Helen, there will be people around the throne of Jesus Christ praising him as the good and glorious king of the world, the slaughtered lamb of God who died for their sins and rose again forever. That's why we give to the International Missions Offering today. That's the good news. And guys, that's just one story of the over 3,500 missionaries serving with the IMB around the world today. The other 50% of our offering is going to go to Logan and Carla Douglas, who are working to plant Redeemer City Church in Iceland. Iceland, religion in Iceland is dominated by the state church, the Church of Iceland. And most of the country affiliates with the state church, but few of them actually believe in God. One study showed that about 40% of the youngest generation claims to be Christian, but zero of them believe that God created the world. I'm not saying few of them believe that God created the world. I'm saying that none of them believe that God created the world. That means, by the way, that they're not actually Christians. They just have a vague idea of a higher power, and that sounds kind of good to them. And Logan and Carla's church is an international church. So as Iceland's economy grows, people are moving to their city from every nation. And Logan and Carla are working to reach them. So when you give to the missions offering today, and a portion of that is sent to Iceland, your gift will not just go to support reaching Iceland, but your work is going to support reaching the nations. Your gift today is a sure investment because you are not giving to a lost cause. You are giving to a certain victory. King Jesus will rule and reign over all tribes and tongues and nations. You are not giving to a lost cause. You are giving to a certain victory. Your gift today is a satisfying investment because there is absolutely nothing that you could spend your money on that would satisfy you like King Jesus. So give today, even if it means you have to give up something else to make it possible. Give sacrificially today. So even if you have to give up Netflix or give out eating coffee out in 2021, that would be a worthy investment. And you can reinvest that money in seeing Jesus Christ's glory spread to the ends of the earth today. Your gift today is also a safe investment. You can give sacrificially, trusting that God will provide. In the book of Philippians, which is a letter in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians who supported him in this same way. They supported him out of their finances, and they gave sacrificially, even though they were actually a, a poor people. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul writes to them. He says in Philippians 4, I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You can give to the missions offering today. It is a sure investment, a satisfying investment, and a safe investment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here. I want you to take a few minutes now to pray about your response to this message.
to think about how you will give to the missions offering today. To think about your role, what you can give. If you need to take a minute to quietly discuss with your spouse, please feel free to do so. There's a couple of options to give. In just a moment, we're going to have some ushers walk up and down the aisles with a basket, and you can drop your gift in there. Or you can go to PillarDC.com world to give online, especially for those of you who are watching online. PillarDC.com world. Make sure you designate your gift for the international missions offering if you give that way. PillarDC.com world. And you can obviously give that way as well in the room here. And as we close, I just want to say one more thing. Jesus Christ is praised in Revelation 5 as the slaughtered lamb of God who by his blood ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I believe today there are people here whom God is not asking for anything from your wallet, but he is asking for your entire life. He's asking for you to leave your sins at the door, to confess him as your Lord, to repent of your sins, to believe in Christ rather than your own goodness, and to be saved. You can do that today because Christ cares for weak sinners like me and you. And if that's you today, if you, if you realize that you're not a Christian, maybe you thought you were and you're realizing you're not, Maybe you didn't even think you were, but you want to become one now by God's grace. Please come and talk to me or whoever's sitting next to you, whoever invited you or, or somebody else that's around you today. Please talk to one of us before you leave today. There's nothing that would fill our hearts with more joy than to help you see how Jesus Christ was slain and rose again for your sins and also for the sins of the nation. So now, again, I want to encourage, uh, especially those of you who are Christians and members of Pillar D.C., to prayerfully consider how you will give to the International Missions Offering. We're going to pray for a few minutes. Like I said, if you need to talk quietly with your spouse, please do so. And then in just a few minutes, the ushers are going to come forward, and you can feel free to drop your gift in there or give online, pillardc.com world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have established your son King Jesus, as the good and glorious King of the world, we pray that it would be so, God. We pray that he would be praised by every tribe and every tongue and every nation. We pray that you would do that for the glory of your name. We pray that you would, you would give us many more stories like the Sunday and like the Ngongo next year. We pray that you would multiply our offerings. And we pray that you would keep your promise to provide all of our needs, even as we give sacrificially today. God, I pray that you would give the people of Pillar DC bold faith to give sacrificially for the good and the glory of your Son in all of the earth. And it's for your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take a few minutes now to pray and consider how we will give to the offering. <laughs>